Well, good afternoon, friends. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel. For our friends from the Chinese Church, we recently started this series looking at Mark's Gospel. So please turn in the Pew Bible. It's page 1152. Our passage this morning is verses 21 to 28. Well, let's read from verse 9 to 28. Listen, this is God's word. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their, in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Now a big story in the news at the moment is what appears to be the impending invasion of Russia into Ukraine. Ukraine is in Eastern Europe and was once part of the Soviet Union, and as a result, much of its population is Russian. However, Ukraine is now leaning westwards politically, much to Russia's frustration. Russia's desire is to bring Ukraine back under its dominance. That's because much of Russian culture originates from Ukraine. Russia has already annexed the Crimean Peninsula, It has destabilized two regions in eastern Ukraine, and now it's amassing Russian troops on Ukraine's eastern border. The Russian Navy is positioning itself in the Black Sea, south of Ukraine, 
And then north of Ukraine is the nation of Belarus, which is a Russian ally. So Ukraine is surrounded, and it is completely and extremely vulnerable. There is much uncertainty for the Ukrainian people about what Russia will do and how the West will respond. Now, warfare is something that we're not particularly familiar with, at least not on our doorstep like what Ukraine is facing. And yet, as believers, we face war every day, a spiritual warfare. That should not surprise us. In our passage today, we see that our king was engaged in spiritual warfare. He was in battle. But yet we see Jesus was also victorious. And so unlike in Ukraine, there is no uncertainty in our warfare. In Christ, we are assured of the victory. And so I want you to notice today, Christ came to proclaim the truth, which exposes sin and so causes Satan to tremble. Therefore, you are to embrace the truth as a weapon against Satan's attacks. So firstly, notice Christ's word has authority that you must submit to. Verses 21 to 22, we read of Jesus Christ in the city of Capernaum. In Matthew's gospel, Capernaum is described as Jesus' own city. And so it's understood that Jesus is now living in the city of Capernaum. This is now his home. And Capernaum is a very important city on the northwest of the Sea of Galilee, as you see in the map in your handout. The temple had a tax office based there. A Roman centurion lived there, and so there must have been a Roman military base in this city. And that being on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, it would have been part of the thriving fishing industry. Capernaum is the hometown of Peter and Andrew, and most likely James and John too. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples went to the synagogue, and Jesus was invited to teach And this was very commonplace for visiting rabbis to be invited to read God's word and then make a comment on that reading. Jesus, with his group of disciples, would have fit this description of a rabbi. But Jesus' message was unlike the messages that the other rabbis taught. Now, we're not told what Jesus' specific message was. But from earlier in Mark's gospel, we know that he preached that the kingdom of God is near. It had arrived. It had arrived in him, for he is the king. And the response to this kingdom is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We read that the congregation were astonished at Jesus' message. This was different than what they were used to. Now, my parents watch on the live stream, and sometimes they will say to me when there's a visiting preacher here, they'll ask, who was that? They were different. Well, the congregation in Capernaum, they heard something different in that synagogue that day. What surprised them was the authority that Jesus Christ preached with. Now, it wasn't that Jesus came with a booming voice. No, they were used to the scribes teaching And when the scribes taught, they were dependent on other authorities. They would quote and say, Rabbi Ben-Ami says this in regards to this particular prophecy. Or Rabbi Judah has this interpretation concerning this portion of the law. 
And that's not wrong. That's what Rich and I do in our preaching. We quote from other people. Either they say it better than we can, or they're well-respected scholars. And so you appreciate their insights. And we do this in a day-to-day manner as well. We respect those who are experts. Now imagine if you were talking to me, uh, Dr. West, and you asked us about some illness or some treatment. And now if I gave my thoughts on the matter, you'd be thinking, well, that's nice, but I really want to hear what Dr. West has to say. Clearly, Wes, as the doctor, has the medical authority. Well, when Jesus speaks, he did not need to quote from other scholars. He speaks with his own authority. He is the expert. We get a glimpse of how Jesus teaches from his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 21, we read, You've heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So notice that phrase, but I say to you. Jesus isn't quoting someone else. No, he speaks of his own accord. He has authority because, as Mark has already told us, He is God. Hughes writes, he preached God's word, not about God's word. So it's no wonder that Jesus gets this reaction. No wonder the congregation were astonished. God himself was preaching to them that day. And the word astonished is not that they were surprised at Jesus' boldness or even believed that he was being arrogant in how he taught. It was more like they were overwhelmed. They were even disturbed by Jesus' preaching. Tim Keller writes, he didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in the way the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author, and it left them dumbfounded. Wilmhurst writes, Jesus gets up and says, the kingdom of God is here and it's all about me. Well, that is different. And that is a message that you and I have to reckon with. It's not some vague, abstract philosophy. No, Jesus is saying he is the king. And so how will you respond? Now imagine if the Queen of England arrived here in the next five minutes. How are you going to respond? Will you men bow before her? Or will you ladies curtsy before her? Well, you are American, so you don't have to respond in that way. She's not your queen. But if Jesus Christ came, he is the king of all the earth. He is your king, whether you like it or not. How will you respond? Will you be astonished, like this congregation in Capernaum? Or will you believe in his authority and so submit to his word? Well, secondly, let's consider how Jesus Jesus exposes your sin. And sin cannot stand before the Holy One of God. Verses 23 and 24. Not only does Mark give us the reaction of the congregation, we read of another reaction. The service is interrupted by a man crying out. Now, what was up with this man? Well, we read that he was possessed by an unclean spirit. 
that he is demon-possessed. Now, liberal scholars simply want to explain away what's happening here. They will say that the people were naive back then, that this man has some form of schizophrenia, that they weren't able to diagnose back then with their primitive understanding. But people with schizophrenia don't have the kind of insight that this man clearly possesses. And what Mark is recording is not normal. Throughout the Bible, references to demon possession are few, and most of them are found in the Gospels and in the time of the apostles. They occurred when Jesus was on the earth. Jesus' presence, it flushed out these demons. And that's not surprising. We've already considered Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and yet he did not give in. And Satan has not given up. He will throw all he has at Jesus to get him to stop his mission. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, the evil underworld comes out against him. Now, why would Mark include this strange incident in his gospel? Surely his account would be more credible if he simply left this out. Well, Mark is seeking to persuade people who Jesus is. And this evil dimension is real. And we see Jesus combating it. Mark includes it because it really did happen. It is true. And in doing so, we gain an insight into Jesus' authority over demons. Wilhelm Hurst writes, It is only in the sophisticated West that we are stupid enough to stop believing in evil powers that can control people's lives. Such fools we are, even some Christians, that we think we know better than the Bible. The spiritual world is as real as anything you can touch, see, or hear. And demons are the most pure and naked forms of evil that we will ever meet. And so what is happening here has cosmic significance. Jesus is encountering a demon. So light and darkness are facing each other. What will happen? Well, light always wins. Children, I wonder, I'm sure you have, you've lifted up a rock in your yard, and below the rock there are lots of insects, maybe like ants or roly-polies. What do they do? They all scurry away. They hate the light. They've been exposed, and so they hide. Well, this demon that is in this man has been exposed by the preaching of Jesus Christ. And he knows who Jesus is. He recognizes that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And he can't stand Jesus. That's why there is this commotion. He tells Jesus to leave them alone. And so leave them alone suggests that there is more than one demon. Well, this demon or these demons, they hate Jesus. They hate what Jesus is saying. The news of Christ being that of good news is not good news for them. It's bad news. That's why they're afraid. In James 2 verse 19, we read, You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. Why do they tremble? Well, this demon is described as an unclean spirit, while Jesus is described as the Holy One of God. Holiness and evil, they cannot mix. They can't be together. And the demon knows what Jesus will do when he asks, have you come to destroy us? 
Jesus came to defeat evil. Ferguson writes, the coming of the kingdom and the inauguration of his kingdom implied the destruction and the end of the kingdom of darkness. So this demon recognizes Christ's authority, that he can't stand against him, that he's facing his own destruction, and that there's nothing that he can do about it. And that's the case with sinners too. Jesus' words expose your sin. So you are in a similar position to this demon-possessed man. Jesus is holy. Sin cannot be in his presence. That's why Peter said to Christ, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, he understood that no sin can be before holy God. He rightly fears God, and so should you because of your sin. Are you also in fear? Do you recognize that your sin is an offense to holy God? So what do you do when Jesus exposes the sin in your life? Well, do you hold on to your sin? Let this demon be a warning to you. For although the demon recognized that Jesus is a holy one of God, it would do him no good. He knew that his destruction would be inevitable. Sin it cannot stand before the holiness of God. Instead, you are to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. In response, you are to repent, turn from your sin, and submit to Christ as your King. And we see why in our next point. So thirdly, Christ defeats evil. And so in his victory, you have victory over Satan. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus rebukes the demon. Jesus tells it to be quiet, to come out of the man. Be quiet literally means to be muzzled. So Jesus sees this demon like an annoying, barking dog. No longer can this demon speak. It's been silenced and expelled from this man. And here we see the authority that Jesus has over this demon. There's no fight. There's no combat. The demon is instantly defeated. Before the Son of God, the demon has no power. Now remember, the demon clearly did have power over the man. But the demon is weak before Jesus Christ. I wonder if anyone here is afraid of the dark. You don't like it when it's nighttime and your room is in darkness, when you can't make out the shadows, when you can't be sure if you are alone. What is the solution? You turn on the light. Your fear is instantly gone. The darkness, which was so powerful, is gone. Light always wins over darkness. That is the power of Christ over demons. And this was a prelude to the cross. On the cross, Jesus defeated the greatest demon, Satan himself. He removed his power. So Jesus, in paying the price for our sin, which is death, In doing so, he removed Satan's power over us. So no longer can Satan condemn us over our sin. Christ has dealt with that. And so Christ has freed us from Satan's grip. When Satan reminds us of our past sins, you can respond not by denying the sin or underplaying the sin. No, you respond by saying Christ has paid the punishment for that sin. And so therefore he has removed the guilt of that sin. In Christ you have been made holy. 
you're in Christ. You're in the Holy One of God. And so the devil and his demons should be afraid of you as they are afraid of God. It's not that we have some power to defeat them. No, it's because Christ is with us. Before Christ left this earth, he promised his disciples that he would be with them. And so Christ is with us today. He began his great commission statement by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth is with me. And so the one with all authority, even over Satan and his demons, he is with you. So remember that when you are tempted to sin, when you want to give in to the sin, when you are in the midst of an internal struggle. In Christ, you have the power to say no to that sin. Just as Jesus said, quiet to this demon, you can likewise say quiet to your sinful temptations. You too know victory over sin because of Christ's victory. Well, fourthly, notice, embrace the truth as a weapon against Satan's lies. Verses 27 and 28. Not only do the people hear Jesus' authoritative teaching, they also witness his authority over demons. Well, what is the impact of this event in the synagogue of Capernaum? We read they are amazed. But we're not to see this as positive. They're not saying, wow, this is amazing. We have just seen something wonderful. No, they are disturbed. They are afraid. They question Jesus' identity. Even though the demon has told them exactly who Jesus is, the Holy One of God, we read of them asking, what is this? And what is this new teaching of the kingdom of God arriving on earth? They question how Jesus has authority over demonic forces. And we read of his fame spreading around Galilee. And again, it's easy to think of this as being positive. Instead, it's more likely the disturbance that Jesus caused in the synagogue spread people started to ask the question, who is this man who says he is the king? How are we to respond to him? Because he clearly has authority. Up to this point, their life had been comfortable. Going to the synagogue had been routine. But now Jesus has come and he's preached something new. And they've been unsettled. Now it's not that Jesus has taught something new and so told them to disregard the old. It's not new material. Instead, Jesus is teaching that this is a new era. It's a new eschatological age. Before they were looking forward to the kingdom of God. Now Jesus is saying, it has arrived. And so their minds are full of questions as we see. But sadly, they did not embrace Jesus' teaching. They did not accept him as king of Christ. They did not accept Jesus as king of the kingdom. And we see this in Matthew 11. Jesus would speak again of Capernaum. Matthew 11, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Their amazement did not lead to belief. Instead, they rejected the truth. And they would be judged for that. Even this demon, it put the people of Capernaum to shame, for at least he recognized who Jesus is, that he is a king. He obeyed, 
while they disobeyed, seeing Jesus as only Jesus of Nazareth and not the Holy One of God. What a reaction Jesus got to his sermon. And more and more, we are seeing that reaction today. It's not that people are screaming in the middle of services, thankfully, but instead it's this hatred toward the truth. They prefer to believe a lie that they get to make their own truth. And this is evident in their disregard of God's word. They say that Jesus isn't the king of the kingdom. They don't like the authority that that would give Jesus. Instead, they say that Jesus is one of many religious leaders, and each one should be equally respected. People reject the truth. They prefer to hold on to the lies. And this is the work of Satan. He is the father of lies. He distracts people from the truth. Why do we find it so hard to talk about spiritual things? Well, Satan is actively seeking to stop these conversations. We find it easy to talk about sport or about politics, spiritual matters we struggle with. And yet it's not that our culture is completely against the spiritual world. More and more we see people being interested in spiritual things, just as Pastor Rich was mentioning this morning. Whether it's meditation or yoga or or mindfulness, our TV is full of shows that are on angels or vampires or wizards. There are those who are interested in, in what's beyond the physical. They want the spiritual but they're going to completely wrong sources for it. And again, this is Satan working, distracting us from what is the truth. Instead, Satan preaches a lie. He wants to destroy. He wants society to break down. He wants families to split, for individuals to be confused. It's no wonder that our society is struggling with simple things like defining marriage or defining gender. Satan is sowing lies, and sadly, humanity is listening to these lies. The world needs the truth of God. For the truth, it will expose the lies that are false. God uses the preaching of his word to bring light into people's darkness, to bring cleansing over people's shame, to remove the guilt of people by their sins being forgiven. And so when God's word is preached, the devil trembles. He panics, for he wants to keep people in the darkness of his lies. And therefore, we must bring the preaching to this world. Our world needs to hear God's word. And yet you should not be surprised when you face hostility. You are in a battle. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What is your weapon? Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is our weapon. My boys, they like to play with toy swords. They're made of styrofoam. And so they can't do much damage. But boys and girls, do you realize that in your hand, you have a weapon? When you're reading God's word, you have a weapon in your hand. It makes an impact. We often forget how important the weapon is. Boys and girls and adults too, do not miss out knowing God's word. 
It is the truth. And so make the most of reading your Bibles. Remember to understand God's Word better. This morning, the high schoolers were speaking off their New Year's resolutions, and it was encouraging to hear how a number of them this year or the next couple of years are planning to read through the whole of the Bible. And that's something we all should be aspiring to, to be in God's Word, knowing it more and more. And children, when your mom and dad are doing family worship, you should be listening and taking the most out of that. You need to be familiar with your weapon, with God's Word. And you should encourage each other to study God's Word. And so it's great that there are so many Bible studies in this church, and you should make the most of that. These are opportunities to talk about spiritual things, to interact, and to learn more. So make the most of the opportunities to study God's Word, whether it's here at the worship services, the Sunday school classes, even the times of fellowship over lunch. These are important for we live out and we demonstrate God's word in a practical way. Christ came to proclaim the truth which exposes sin. And so it caused Satan to tremble. And so embrace the truth as a weapon against Satan's lies. Now on the school run, the kids and I are listening to C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair. And The Silver Chair is about the search for a long-lost prince named Prince Rillian, by two children, Eustace and Jill. And the children have been given instructions by Aslan the lion, which they are not to forget, although oftentimes they do. In the underworld, they encounter a man who they find out is under a spell by the green witch. Once the spell is broken, they discover that this man is Prince Rillian. But then the witch puts them all under a spell. And in that delirious state, the girl, Jill, remembered something. And Lewis writes, For the last few minutes, Jill had been feeling that there was something she must remember at all costs. And now she did. But it was dreadfully hard to say it. She felt as if huge weights were laid on her lips. At last, with an effort that seemed to take all the good out of her, she said, There's Aslan. And so despite the strong enchantment by this green witch, Jill is able to bring Aslan's name to mind even when it seemed too late. And in remembering Aslan and remembering his instructions, they're able to fight through the spell and conquer the witch. We likewise, we need to remember Jesus Christ. We are to embrace him. He is the truth. His authority exposes the lies that enchant us. So Christ came to proclaim the truth. He exposes the sins and he causes Satan to tremble. And therefore we must embrace this weapon of truth against Satan's lies. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Mark's gospel. We thank you that we get to know who Christ is even more, that he has authority, authority in his preaching, authority over demons. And so, Lord, in response that we would submit to him, uh, Lord, uh, as we've been learning about how even the demons tremble before him, we thank you uh, for how Christ has ultimately defeated Satan on the cross. And so no longer can he accuse us. And so, Lord, help us not to believe in his lies, Instead, that we would remain firm on the truth. Help us to focus on Jesus Christ, for he is truth. And so as a result, we are secure in him.
And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 23b. Psalm 23b, this psalm reminds us of um, that even when we are in darkness, we are not alone. Christ, our good shepherd, is with us, and his light conquers the darkness. So we can walk safely. He provides for us, even in the presence of our enemies, and so we are secure. And so it's important to dwell on the truth, to dispel the lies that we so often believe. Let's stand and sing Psalm 23b.